Welcome to the Success IQ podcast, the show for entrepreneurs of all levels wanting to create and live an exceptional life. I'm your host, Jeff Nicholson, and this is episode 138. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm a specialist in performance and mindset, working with entrepreneurs all over the world, supporting them to be the best and perform at the highest levels in life and business. And I achieve this through coaching, mentoring, and online programs. My aim is simple to provide you with great strategies, tactics, tips, and tools so you can implement them. Now let's get to this week's guest, Chad Sanderson. Chad has been leading sales and marketing teams to success for over 20 years through his proven and predictable value selling framework. Chad has been named a top five emerging training leader, has worked in sales, built teams, and achieved targets both within organizations and as a consultant. He cuts through the outdated theory-based fluff so often attributed to sales training and gets down to the nitty-gritty with a raw, no BS perspective to look at what is working, what's not working, and where there may be opportunities to drive predictable revenue growth through sales optimization. Hi, Chad. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So, Chad, before we dive into this in a, a very, really strange time, can you give us a backstory of what's brought you to this point today? Uh, yeah, interesting. So, I actually, um, you know, I, when I was in university, I had the grand ambition of uh, sitting on a beach smoking pot and writing poetry. Uh, that was that was the goal when I was in college. I mean, maybe not a very well-developed one, but um, from there, actually ended up getting into marketing believe it or not, and spent the first part of my career in marketing, uh, analyst relations, you know, product marketing, pricing, that kind of stuff, and was running a marketing team for a software company and sitting in a meeting one day, it was a couple, I want to say a couple of days after I had graduated from my MBA in marketing, and I'm talking to a bunch of salespeople, and I'm, and I'm thinking, you know, they're solving really cool problems, uh, they're getting paid a lot more money, and they're not that bright. So I think I might want to try this. So <laughs> I gave up my leadership position in marketing and uh, was lucky enough to find a position carrying a bag, a quota carrying rep, and um, haven't looked back since, you know, was successful as a quota carrying rep. Uh, ended up going up the career ladder and, and building teams and managing sales and marketing teams, selling companies. And about three and a half years ago, the gentleman who originally trained me in the value selling framework called and said, hey, you need to come do this. You're, you're passionate about it. You've, seen it. you've seen what happens when it works. You know what happens when it doesn't and why it doesn't. Um, so you should come do this. And I was, it was, you know, perfect timing, serendipity. So uh, decided what the hell. And uh, three and a half years later, I'm still loving every second of working with companies and, and helping sales reps and marketing people get better at communicating. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Sales reps and sales is an interesting, wasn't it? Because in my experience, and again, you you know, you might find this different. People are either hate it or absolutely love it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's one of those things. It, I don't know if it's because it's the high risk, high reward. Like, I mean, you know, if you look at the variable comp structures that most uh, sales reps in the B two B space, you know, go in, the the base salaries are good. I mean, you could potentially in some places, if you weren't, you know, spend happy, you could have a decent living on that. But we get into sales, I think I got into it because I like to solve the problems and I wanted to, to make more money. Um, the thing I like about it is it's, it's black and white. It's very simple. There's no gray area of what is success. You, you know, you're being successful based on the amount of revenue you're generating for a company. And so it's not a lot of 
well, how do you attribute this? Or what does that metric mean? And it's like, no, 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 I, I'm either closing business or upselling customers um, or I'm not. And so for me, that clarity of vision um, gave me something to focus on. It was, it was an opportunity for me to go in, find some really cool problems with some really cool companies and help them leverage solutions that we were providing or I was providing at the time in order to drive return, which in gave them the ability to then provide for their employees and make sure they had good lives and benefits and could put their kids through school. And I don't know, maybe it sounds a little altruistic, but at the end of the day, that kind of impact felt more real to me than some of the things I had been attempting to do in marketing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting one. Is And for you now, because I always, I always find when I'm going to events, they talk about sales and marketing. Do you yeah. see them as, and I, I have this often conversation with a good friend of mine who says, marketing is not sales and vice versa. How do you correlate the difference? How, what do you sort of see the difference in the bucket sort of thing? Yeah, so I would say that effective sales requires effective marketing and that they are, it's very symbiotic relationships. So if we, if we change the lens just a little bit, instead of looking from inside of an organization out where you have a marketing department and a sales department, and we change that lens and we look at it from our buyer's perspective, our buyer doesn't give a crap uh, if, you know, they're getting a marketing piece or it's a sale from a salesperson. They don't care. They're out to solve problems. So if we look at it from a buyer's perspective, from a buyer's journey, let's say I, I have no idea who you, you know, who you as a salesperson work for, or what your company does. So we would call that low interest, low awareness. And marketing can play a role in providing very you know, targeted content through multiple channels to increase their awareness of the brand or the solution or the outcomes. Um, and as that person goes through their buying journey, as it gets more real, they engage with a salesperson. And what we have to do is make sure that journey is as frictionless as possible. We want to make it as seamless and simple as possible. And if we can do that, that happens because sales and marketing is working together. Sales is working on the very specific pinpointed problem of the prospect I'm talking to. Marketing is looking at more of a macro level of what are the trends that other individuals in that role may also be experiencing and how do I leverage that to then go out and increase the awareness and the interest in what we can produce. So from my perspective, there, there are two threads of the same blanket, if you will, because you can't effectively sell if you're not uh, effectively working with marketing or actually I shouldn't say that you can sell. It's going to be a lot harder. And I think that the, the symbiotic relationship of both of them is, is critical to that success. Yeah, because it's interesting how many people will put, it's, it's always interesting. So companies that I've worked for have either had to make redundancies or something. The first place they start cutting is sales and marketing. Yet they are the, it, it's, it's ironic because yet they're the same engine as actually what's going to bring the stuff to them. And then they need that conversion. Right. Yeah. It's funny. It always, I mean, always, as I was coming up to my career, could not believe why a company would cut their revenue generating engine when they were, when they were struggling with financial challenges. It was like, why? So you basically want to take, you know, I ride, I ride motorcycles. I have Harley Davidson. Basically, I want to take a Harley Davidson V twin engine and you want to put, uh, you want to take one of the, one of the twin, uh, twins off of it. So you only, you're running with half an engine, yet you want more throughput. It doesn't make any sense. It never made any sense to me. Part of that though, I, let's be honest, I think sales and marketing probably contributes to that because of that constant 
uh, butting of heads or, or lack of inability to work together, um, it sometimes creates internal friction inside of an organization. So when there's a need to make some changes, uh, I, I wonder sometimes if the people making those decisions aren't also trying to reduce internal friction in politics. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, possibly. So value selling, how would you describe exactly what is value selling? Yeah, so the value selling framework, the, the framework that we work to implement with organizations uh, is really a communication framework. So I would say, uh, first and foremost, I would say that, and my CEO hates when I say this, but the value selling associates is an unfortunate name because it, it has a certain connotation to it. But what we're talking about is regardless of context, whether I'm selling, whether I'm marketing, whether I'm working internally, we are providing a framework for communication that allows people to consistently uncover what someone else finds valuable and connect their unique capabilities to that. So it's a communication framework to manage the dialogue, to uncover what someone else what their perception of value is, what their perception of their problems and ideal solution is, and then connect our unique capabilities to that to help them achieve whatever their primary objective may be. Okay, and can you share with us a little, a couple of easy sort of steps to, obviously you don't want to share the whole thing, but a couple of easy <laughs> steps to help them sort of get going? Yeah, so the, the first thing you have to think about is in our in our language, we call um, everybody in an organization has a primary thing they're focused on, right? There's there's typically one time-bound quantifiable thing that needs to be addressed, and we call that a business issue. So, for example, if you're dealing with a chief marketing officer or VP of digital, perhaps they've been tasked with increasing leads through digital channels by 20 to 25% this fiscal year. That may be their primary thing they're focused on. And then they start to think about, okay, well, what are the problems getting in the way? Well, maybe I don't have the right people. Maybe my people don't understand how to optimize the digital channels we have, or, or I don't have a process internally to really pass those leads and, and determine if they're qualified or not. You know, what is, what is my MQL process, so to speak? And then they start to think, okay, well, if those are my problems, I'm going to go, now I'm going to go find a solution for that. So this is where MQLs, marketing qualified leads actually come from. By the time somebody goes to a website and submits a request says, Hey, I want more information. They've already gone through the thinking process to get to that point where they're looking for a solution. The challenge is most sales reps, get that and want to just run and start calculating commission instead of taking the time to back up and say, okay, Hey, why, why do you think we're a solution? What problems are we going to be solving? Oh, well, you're going to solve my problems with, you know, up leveling my people's understanding of digital channels, or you're going to help us, you know, create an MQL process. Okay. And why is that important? Oh, well, it's important because I have to increase the number of leads through digital channels this fiscal year. And so one of the things that I would say is, understand, work to understand what is the primary objective they're trying to solve. And the challenge that most sales reps run into is that they'll hear problems, which are typically related to people, processor, or technology. Uh, and they'll think that that's what they're trying to solve, when in essence, we need to pressure test it with why. Why is that problem? Why does that problem need to be solved? Why is it important? What is it that we're trying to do to contribute to the business? And if we can understand and uncover what that top line objective or business issue is for an individual, now we have the opportunity to talk about quantifiable and differentiated value that we can provide to the organization by resolving and solving those problems. So I would say if, if somebody wants to get started, the first question is always ask why. Why do you think we're a solution? 
why do you think those problems are important? Why do you need to resolve those problems? So you can get back to something that is really going to drive impact to the organization as a whole. So it's almost like a really good coaching conversation. It, it is. It really is. And the primary tool that we that we teach, the framework itself, is called the value prompter. And it really is just a communication GPS. So, for example, in that same example, if somebody, if an MQL comes in, you know, in, in our value prompter, you know you're in the solution area. You know they're already thinking about the solution. And so it helps us diagnose where we are in a potential conversation to understand where the white space is. What don't we know? So it keeps us honest. Uh, because a lot of salespeople have happy ears. So the minute they think there's a deal that can be won and they can calculate commission, they're off thinking about the next you know, boat they're going to buy or whatever it is. And so what we want to do is make sure we stay as consistent in our managing of the dialogue as possible. And that value prompter and the, and the tool that we provide and, and work with people to implement helps us do that. Right. Okay. So that that fact that you can like set it out as like a, a good communication between two people, one of the things that keeps coming up with people that I speak to, and, and there's an element where I suffer from this as well, is I seem to have, and I, I come across this on time, is a high level of empathy. So when someone says, no, we're not interested, they just give up all communication. So they think, <laughs> so my, my uh, grandfather used to say, you should be able to sell sunglasses to a blind man. Um, yeah. That was, that was, his sort of way that he came from, um, you know, many, many moons ago, um, he would see a bargain in everything. An example would be he went and bought black ties and stood outside a crematorium and a, and a oh, cemetery because nice. he knew the amount of people that wouldn't have that sort of money to be able to get ties, but they'd need it at that moment in time. So you would stand and sell ties at a, at a crematorium and you'd, used to do really, really well. Um, yep. But for an awful lot of people, that, that sales conversation is really, really difficult. And the rejection is a bigger fear that stops them moving on. What sort of strategies would you suggest that they sort of look at to help? Yeah, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, so first and foremost in sales, it, it, it comes down to mindset. Right. Mm -hmm. you, you have to understand that when somebody is rejecting you or shutting you down, it's not about you. Mm -hmm. I mean, they probably don't know you well enough to not like you yet. So we have to give them time to not like us. There's hope. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here's, here's, here's hoping they don't know us well enough to not like us at this point. But if you think about, if you think about it, you know, let, we'll go back to that CMO example. Let's say you're trying to sell the CMO uh, something that isn't going to help them generate leads. And they're like, yeah, no, I'm not interested right now. Okay, great. So, then you need really, you need just genuine curiosity. What, hey, if you're not focused on that, what are you, what are you focused on right now? I may not be able to help with what we provide, but you know, I've been doing this a while. I have a lot of connections or I can provide some insights. If you're focused on something else, love to know what it is so I can at least, you know, provide some value for you. And so it's, it's that go at it from an understanding that that CMO may be focused on increasing leads through digital channels, but the second that CMO thinks that problem, that challenge is solved, they're going to have another business issue. They're going to have another primary objective, which may have associated problems that you can solve. So it's recognizing that you need to understand what's motivating the individuals you're talking to, as well as the realization that what you have may not solve what they're focused on right now, and that's okay. Put them, put them back into the CRM, put them on a drip campaign, Pay, you know, 
touch back in with them, provide them value to stay top of mind so that when that primary objective changes or that business issue changes and they do have problems that they know you can help with, then you're one of the first calls they make. And so it becomes this understanding that you're not there to sell. It, you know, that, I go back to that mindset. You're not really there to sell. You're there to solve problems. And if we're solving problems, then we have to understand that sometimes the problems are focused on aren't problems we can help with right now. Or the other way to go about it is to, if you really have to get in there, is understand and believe that the, the product or solution that you can provide will drive greater ROI or return to the business and then help make that case, help that person show that there's other ways you can impact their organization uh, rather than just you know that one thing they're focused on right now. But in both cases, it really comes down to approaching people with respect. Like, have you, have you done your homework? Do you understand what that person may even care about? respect for yourself have you done your prep are you are you ready to have the conversation as well as having empathy and curiosity understand that you know everybody's going to have something different they're focused on they have different personality traits they are going to make them respond differently they may like to be communicated with differently some may like to actually pick up the phone some may prefer email some may prefer text messages whatever it is you really need to demonstrate that you understand the individual and don't push don't be like i mean i don't want to say don't take you no know, don't take no for an answer you have to try you can't you know we like to say it takes 11 no's to get a yes um but at the end of the day you need to do it in a way that isn't making the sales profession any more loathed than some people already find it <laughs> well yeah and that's and, that, and that's the thing isn't it because i think is how you there have just described it i really love because as a coach i love supporting people to solve their problems sure as soon as someone goes you're gonna to have to do some selling i i go back to being you know basically arriving in the family business going okay you're 17 year old you can drive get out in a van and start selling and right. that scared the pejesus out of me um, <laughs> because and it, it, that was always my thing. It was like i mean i was selling sweets for god's sake and i couldn't get people to buy sweets and if you can't get people to buy sweets at seven, I, my granddad would used to say, I don't care if you're 10, 100 or whatever, kids will buy sweets. That's one thing that you're not going to do and you can't sell sweets. So there's something going on. And obviously as a family business, that's not always negotiable on how to deal with those sort of things. Um, but, you know, so it's those sort of challenges. And I think is the fact that you can go solve a problem, you're in business you obviously, you know, as, as business owners, we know what we're trying to do. We know what we're producing. We're passionate about it. So that should be really easy. It's just being able, I guess, to speak at the same language and knowing how they want it delivered. Oh, absolutely. I mean, think about, you know, if you think about any business, you know, even, even let's go to selling sweets, you probably knew more about how those sweets were made, the flavors, how they're packaged, what, which ones are better at given temperatures or times of day. But, and you, and then the, the inclination is we've trained people on our product and solutions in that way. We've, we've made them, you know, to use an Americanism, we've, we've made them drink the Kool-Aid. They, we made them believe that this product and or solution is the best thing since sliced bread. And so of course, when we unleash them on the world, is it any surprise that they want to go out and talk about their product? But the truth of the matter is you need to slow down and start asking questions to determine if you should even be wasting your breath talking about your product until you understand if that other individual has problems that you can actually help them address. 
Hey guys, did you know that I was putting together an online event during May to assist you in transforming your results for creating success in your life and business? With over 10 hours of training sessions, seven experts in a variety of disciplines who will share strategies, tactics, including topics such as sales, branding, mindset, productivity, resilience, video, and more. With only a few days left of the early bird offer where you can get the all access pass which starts from only 50 pounds so act now don't let fear or demotivation stop you from getting the results you need to enjoy an exceptional life and business stay safe stay well and stay positive take care okay so let's go to the second part of the show this is where i get to ask you a set of questions we ask every guest who comes on the show so are you ready sir I am ready. Okay, the first question is, on average, how much time a week do you dedicate to self-development? That's body, mind, and spirit. Uh, let's say, I would say seven to eight hours a week. I work out one hour a day, uh, typically, and I'm at least reading another two or three hours beyond that per week. Cool, excellent. Okay, question number two, what book has made the biggest impact to your self-development or personal growth and why? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, man, there's so many. And it doesn't have to be a business book. It can just be something that's helped with growth. Um, you know what I would say? I, I have gotten into very deeply gotten into kind of the neuroscience lately. And there's a book called Slights of Mind, S-L-E-I-G-H-T-S of Mind. And it's written by magicians and it helps explain how magic works, why the human brain, what they're doing is tricking the human brain. And reading that showed me that I needed to increase my self-awareness even more uh, than I thought than I thought I had before, because there there are things there that and this is just one in the last six months um, that has stayed with me. Uh, but I would highly recommend if anybody hasn't read it, Slights of Mind. You know the interesting thing is and, uh, irony. Um, I interviewed two lovely guys near me um, who are in marketing. Ironically, one is a mind um, a mind magician, the other one is a hypnotist, and they talked about that. Um, that one as well and they said yeah it's a it's a good read yeah, yeah i always thought those sort of books were like super secret and no one ever were allowed to you know you you pledged your name and blood that you would never share those things <laughs> right, right. well it's a, the tricks that they debunk well it's not debunked the tricks that they explain are ones that pretty they're pretty much the low level ones i still even mm. after reading the book i'm a huge magician fan yeah. i still have been to some shows and been like yeah i still don't know how the hell they did that <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know that. I know that feeling, and you're determined to find out. Like, oh yeah, I know he's going to slide that card under his arm or something. <laughs> Stand behind him so we can see if he puts it in his back pocket. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Um, what app? Question number three. What app makes the biggest impact to your business or life? Uh, to my business, I would say, well, given the current circumstances, Zoom. Uh, since since we're all. Uh, virtual right now, but I'd say if you go beyond that, um, Slack the ins and any of the instant messaging apps, whether it's you know meetings or Teams or whatever it is, uh, the ability to very quickly collaborate and instantly communicate uh, with a group of people has just ch just changed the way that I um, you know help support some of my customers, and I think that one's it's been huge for me. Brilliant, excellent. Okay, and um, question number four: What has been your biggest business mistake, which turned into a valuable lesson, and what did it teach you? 
Ooh, biggest mistake. So I have a tendency to be a little bit over the top. <laughs> I'm a little, I'm a little bit, I, I, I may not say loud and obnoxious, but some of my friends might. And I made the mistake in a sales situation of employing that side of my personality with an executive who did not respond well to it did not respond well at all to it um, and lost, ended up losing a very large deal because I misread, or actually didn't read at all, who am I kidding, uh, my audience. And as a result of that, it's what pushed me down the path of understanding human perception, neuroscience, uh, self-development, uh, you know, developing emotional intelligence, uh, which has then turned into, you know, building this business that I have now to, to the heights that it's at uh, as a result of being able to better modulate my communication style based on my audience rather than just always using a hammer, shall we say. Yeah. And I think that's, I think the, the, these are the lessons that we learn, aren't we? We, we kind of like come in with some approach and then all of a sudden there's this life will show us. And I think for me, the difference between those who are going to be successful and those who are just going to kind of like embrace mediocrity are the ones that don't listen. And right. aren't prepared to adapt and change and learn new strategies um, to to become better, more evolved, and you know, mo emotionally intelligent and alike. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you have to, and you have to. For me, I learn mo much more from my failures than I do from my success. And so, after divorce number one, I spent a lot of time trying to understand if I really was the ass that she said I was and the therapist was great in saying that it was probably 50 50 so you know you got to take those those lessons and learn from them and put in the time put in the time to evolve and change that's cool question number five what are your challenges in harmonizing work and life and how do you manage them oh I don't know that I manage it well. I'll be completely honest. I am lucky enough and blessed enough to be doing something that I truly love and so it while there are moments uh, where it definitely feels like work, um, it, isn't, it isn't the same as somebody who's going to a job they're not passionate about. The challenge for me is that when I am not on the road, uh, I work from home. And so it's very difficult for me to step away, separate out myself, put the phone down. Um, for me, it has to become almost like a digital detox. And so the easiest thing that I've been able to do is each year for the past couple of years, I take a good 10 days in the summer and I go do, you know, a fitness retreat or, or go on a long motorcycle ride, something that's going to get me out disconnected and, and back centered in my head. So I don't know that I do it on a day-to-day -day basis well. Uh, I probably I probably manage it in volume, right? So, yeah, yeah. So most of the months I'm I'm going, you know, like a bat out of hell, and then I have to make sure I take the time to decompress and recharge. Do you do you take a high level, uh, or do you put a high level of importance into your sleep? Yes. So actually, so I've gotten a little. Probably, I'm probably a little bit OCD. So I don't know if you've seen the Whoop uh, fitness band, but you wear it while you sleep and it monitors how deep you sleep. Oh, no, uh, I haven't seen I've that gone, one. No. Yeah, it's W-H-O-O-P. Uh, and so I've gone a little over the top. I wear it when I'm working out and, it, it, and I cross compare all my, you know, health stats and heart rates and calories burned with my sleep cycles and recovery and, and stuff like that. I'm lucky in that I can, my functioning rate is seven hours. If I can get six and a half to seven hours, I'm, I'm completely fine. Uh, but any less than that, and we'll start to come off. Yeah, I've, um, I've got a couple of people who use the I think it's called aura ring, yeah. which is a yep. 
so I just use my Apple Watch, but I, I'm, I've gone from that because um, I've suffered from insomnia and hypersomnia. So I've yeah. had I've had both, um, and I work bloody hard in making sure I get between sort of six and a half to eight hours a day, yeah. and it's amazing the difference once you get into that routine. When someone skew whiffs you with a um, a couple of hours or a couple of late nights, it's like no, it's like literally oh, like a yeah. with a sore head. You can feel and you can feel it. I mean, you can yeah, feel yeah. it in your mental capacity and your ability to connect other human beings. It's like, like it's a just, hangover, it wreaks havoc. Oh, it is. It yeah. is without a doubt. <laughs> okay, question number six. What advice would you give an entrepreneur that you wish you had known starting out? <laughs> Just pick one. Oh, yeah. Um, it's going to take longer and it's going to be harder than you expect it to be. But if you do the grind, if you are consistent in your application of effort and, and not afraid of the grind, then anything is possible. Yeah, no, that's cool. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think um, is there a Tony Robbins quote that says, people underestimate what they can achieve in a lifetime and overestimate what they can achieve in 12 months. Right. <laughs> That's very true. Because when I, I mean, I'll be honest, when I started this business, um, everybody was like, oh, you know, it takes you 12 months to ramp. Now I went from being, you know, an executive in an organization that had a team and an admin and all that stuff that you would expect to starting a business where it was me, myself and I. And so I... I, you know, everybody's like, Oh, 12 months, 12 months. No, it took more like 18 and it was 24 hours a day, you know, for, for the first 18 months. And then once you get it to a rhythm, then it's a different level of effort, but you still have to maintain it. Um, and so I tell people, you know, I may, I'm working for myself and I'm successful, but I'm working harder now than I ever did for anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. We'll make the worst bosses. <laughs> yeah, we have, tell totally me. If, yeah. if we employed people the same way as we work, people would, we literally, we wouldn't be employed. Oh, yeah, no. People would never work. No, I don't know many that would be willing to put in what it takes to do to do this from the ground up. And I, I had a lot of, you know, I was lucky. I had coaches and mentors and people that had done it and, and all of that. And it's just, it's just not easy, right? The, the success is, you know, the stairway of success is riddled with failures. And I made my fair share, but... I didn't give up. And I actually, you know, I went into it. I don't know that this is advice if any of your listeners should follow. Uh, but when I started this business, I decided there was no plan B. There was no, no safety. Burn your bridges sort of thing. Yeah, well, I didn't, I don't want to, it didn't upset anybody, but I, it was this or it was yeah. wander the earth like Cain. Like it yeah. was, it was, okay. it was <laughs> this was it. Yeah, this yeah. was it. This was yeah. either going to work yeah. uh, or I was going to get to a point where I was just going to disappear on my motorcycle. So. But I think, um, I think the benefit is, is, you know, I think that's always that power of loving what you do. That's the fuel during the dark times. You know, that's the thing that's going to keep the lights on. And even though sometimes it feels like sometimes that fuel ain't burning at all, but it's that <laughs> right. thing that moves you into that, that place of just sheer dogged determination that it ain't going to fail. Yeah. You know, agreed. and as you say, not, not everyone's listens to that, you know, that story that says you're not going to, and many have been proved, that it was right, but also just the same have been proved that it was, wasn't right. And it just decided you to tuck and move a different direction slightly. Yeah, absolutely. Question number seven, what is your definition of success? Um, oh, 
it's it's twofold really it's the ability to provide for my family without increasing stress associated with finances while ensuring i have the time to connect to them in a capacity that allows us to enjoy and learn and grow from each other brilliant okay question number eight what do you do you have any specific daily routines that have made a huge impact uh, to your life uh, yes yeah, so every morning, feet hit the floor, I go down 12 to 18 ounces of water, and I spend a good three to four minutes really deep diving into and identifying three things I am truly grateful for. Um, great, and, it, and they can't be, you know, they can't be the same things I thought of yesterday. They need to be different things. So it's, you really need to do the deep dives, like, especially now with everything that's going on. Um, it's really easy to go down a really dark mental path but that expression of gratitude um every morning has completely changed outlook energy uh focus uh has been amazing and then also working out you know five to six days a week uh even though i can't get to the gym anymore you know finding a corner in the basement where i can still do things that will get the heart pumping and a little bit of sweat going th those two things have made all the difference in my ability to be successful that's brilliant. That's brilliant. So a question that um, I, I've never had to ask anyone else, actually, but based on the fact that this season is going through the middle of COVID-19, and <laughs> um, what, are you, what are you sort of doing to stay sane and to stay in the groove of actually focusing on what is it that I need to do after? Because, you know, this is, you know, based on how every economy throughout the globe is trying to deal with it it's in some ways it's going to create a, a big void um after this business is you know trying to survive as best they can what are you doing in order to maintain that sort of positive forward momentum um that's a that's a really good question so for me it's understanding and, and kind of falling back on, look, I know how, what kind of impact and, and ways we've changed people's lives with some of the work that we've done. And so for me, it's focusing on how do I continually do that? And now, you know, I've, as we were talking before we hit record, right, I, I've, I've done face-to-face -face stuff for the vast majority of the time, done some, you know, virtual as well, but now it's the virtual. So now it is, okay, how do I optimize my interactions, the way that I do what I do into a virtual environment that doesn't lose sight of that human connection, but also doesn't compromise what may be on the other side. So I'm trying not to paint myself into a box and forget that, you know, I'm going to basically need to run a multi-pronged approach here. Someday we'll get back to people being able to gather again, and I need to be ready for that. In the meantime, I need to be ready to handle people that want to do virtual. And I need to understand that as we move forward, the, the, the divide uh, may no longer be like 10 to 15% virtual and the rest of it uh, in person. It may be more of a 50-50 balance, or even maybe it's where 10 to 15% of it turns to in person. So making sure that materials, best practices, uh, things that we can provide are, are really multi-threaded and, and ready to go either direction. Brilliant. Brilliant. The floor is now yours. Can you tell the listeners how they can find out more about you? Um, where's the place, best place to go to follow you in a non-creepy way? Um, <laughs> um, the floor is now yours, sir. Yeah, so the easiest way to get a hold of me is track me down on LinkedIn. Uh, you can't miss me. It's just Chad Sanderson. Um, bald and beautiful. Uh, nice 
I think the picture has a red goatee. I think it's probably more gray now. Um, you can also hit me up at chad.sanderson at valueselling.com. Um, you can also go to the podcast that I host called the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. The website for that is just b2brevexec.com. Um, and as always, you can always find more information or places that you can hear me on other podcasts uh, on my bio page at the valueselling.com website. Brilliant. Chad, thank you so much for taking time out your busy day, um, even though you're literally like all of us stuck at home. Um, <laughs> and um, I just want to wish you the greatest success and stay safe. Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. First of all, let me just say a huge and massive thank you for joining me today. It's lovely to know you're listening. I really appreciate the support. If you would like to know more about me, the services I offer, how to connect with me on social media, then please visit www.successiq.co.uk. Remember, if you're interested in learning some great strategies that I teach or want to be part of the amazingly supportive community where you can find lives, Q&A sessions and other great educational empowering resources, then take action and search for Success IQ Alliance on Facebook and join this brilliant group. It would be lovely to see you there. You can tune in and listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud and TuneIn and of course iTunes. And if you have enjoyed the show and have the time, please leave a rating and review because it really does help me grow the show and make the impact that I'm aspiring to do. I wish you the greatest success and remember, don't settle for mediocrity. Go out there and create and live the exceptional. Have a lovely week and remember, just one conversation can create a lifetime of results. See you next week.